Welcome to Critical Value, the podcast from the Urban Institute that explores issues of significance for research, policy, and people. I'm your host, Justin Milner. By some measures, the economy is doing really well right now. Unemployment is at a 50-year low, and the stock market is humming along while inflation remains stable. 136,000 jobs is what this economy created, 114,000 in the private sector, 22,000 in the government public sector there. The unemployment rate dropped to 3.5%. The last time it was that low was when we landed on the moon. Since we landed on the moon? Dang. That's one small step for man. One Despite that, not everyone feels like they're getting ahead. While more people have a job than any time since Apollo 11, wage growth has actually stalled and the racial wealth gap persists. That low average unemployment rate also masks a lot of variance across the country. Some places are especially struggling. So how do we plan ahead for these challenges and help prepare today's workforce for the jobs of tomorrow? And how can we build a labor market that supports racial equity where everyone has access to good-paying jobs and economic mobility? One way to look at the challenge is from a place-based perspective. In cities like Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Detroit, leaders have been coming together to take a close look at how people get access to jobs and the barriers they face in moving up the economic ladder. On today's episode, we're talking with three people who have been working to help cities streamline their local workforce systems to deliver better and more equitable results for their residents. Amanda Briggs from the Urban Institute, Jenny Sparandara, who led workforce efforts in Philadelphia and is now the head of Workforce Initiatives Global Philanthropy for J.P. Morgan Chase, and Cinda Herndon King, who's the founder and recently retired director of Atlanta Career Rise, a funder collaborative focused on workforce development. So that's the all-star team for this show on workforce systems. But let's start with the most obvious and most essential question. What the heck is a workforce system anyway? Here's Amanda from Urban. It's a network of services and organizations and programs that work to support job seekers, current workers, and employers. And what makes it a system is when those organizations work together to collaborate to provide services in their local areas. Jenny from J.P. Morgan Chase describes workforce systems this way. It was like, if economic development and education had a baby, it was essentially this workforce system. You know, how is it that you're thinking proactively and strategically about the way, in our case, a city, but a region or a community is changing, how business is evolving, and what does it mean for the people who are there already or the people who are kind of coming up? She says that workforce systems have a lot of different actors. I think of it as public workforce agencies. So those are the vehicles that are managing public dollars, many of which are federal at the start, but maybe also state and local funds to support job training, career-related education, literacy, numeracy for adults, things like that. I think of it as your community colleges and your educational partners. 
So I think academia would bristle at the idea of being perhaps labeled part of the workforce development system. But maybe if we thought about that as human capital and talent and the Mm. pipeline to building it, maybe then the language feels like a little more comfortable. Because again, we want to build something that people really want to engage in. The nonprofit organizations, the community-based organizations. So for those who are unfamiliar, those might be the places that are sort of based in a neighborhood or kind of with a social service agency, but really focus on helping people build technical skills. And then finally, I think employers are a part of the system. And again, we're not necessarily receiving public subsidy or a formal part of that system, but I think the role for employers and business to play is outsized. And the reason it takes so many partners is that there are so many different dynamics at play in the labor market. On one side, employers are looking to fill jobs, but not just with any type of employee. They need people who have the skill to succeed. Cinda from Atlantic Career Rise says that for employers, this investment of time and energy pays off. What's it for employers is, first of all, bottom line. There's lots of studies that have been done, but Importing some talent is a lot more expensive than hiring locally and having that labor pool that is, has the skills to fill your job is critical to business competitiveness. You know, it's a global economy and private sector employers are going where the talent is. So it's a cost savings for them, but as well as building for their future hiring in the local community. The employer-driven part of the system should ensure that what you're doing is targeted to what the employers really need, both now and in the future. The labor market is so dynamic that you have to be looking ahead, you know, five years down the road, what are employers going to need? So you're not providing training and education that's focused on what they needed two years ago. I mean, IT is a great example of this. It changes so quickly that you have to be plugged into what the employers are really looking for. We've got lots of examples where, for example, a technical college was was teaching coding, medical coding, and the local hospital couldn't find any coders, but they weren't teaching coding focused around trauma. And of course, the urban hospital was doing a lot of trauma care. So you've got to align what you're doing with what the employers really need to have that connection work. On the other side, we know that people want to obtain good jobs with living wages, but to do so, they need the training and education to do the work well and the work supports to be able to consistently show up. Here's Amanda on training opportunities. So there are many ways that you could reach out to get access to services. So that could be through a local community college or a technical training program, those Programs offer two-year degree programs and shorter-term credentials that allow people to get skills that are relevant to the labor market and use those credentials to go out and get jobs. There are also service providers that will help individuals outside of the community college system or the four-year college system access services that provide training, education, and maybe professional development and other professionalism services that people may need. But the workforce system goes beyond just training. Just because you can do the job doesn't mean you can easily show up for the job. There still remains challenges for people that have 
low basic skills or need additional support and training to access better jobs. And by better jobs, I mean jobs that pay a sustainable wage, given where you live, that varies across the country, that provide benefits for employees, and that provide a sense of self-worth and jobs that people are excited to go to and they feel like they have growth potential in. So what falls under this umbrella of work supports? Here's Cinda. Work supports really is a broad term that can refer to childcare assistance. It can help with transportation, bus passes, help with getting health insurance, a whole variety of issues that can really derail someone from getting and keeping employment that have nothing to do really with the the training skills. If you have a job and a family, you know that childcare is one of the most important challenges you'll face. Here's Amanda. People also have lives, they have families and kids, and often um, childcare is a barrier as well. And so many public workforce system agencies will try to partner with community-based subsidies for childcare and other support services, you know, that make childcare affordable and help provide services that they need so that they can work while their kids have a place to go and get involved in school. Other challenges include things like living somewhere where there aren't a lot of jobs and not having a way to get to where the jobs are. They may live in an area where they don't have good access to transportation to be able to access those good job opportunities. So if they're in a rural area, there may just be less opportunity. And then in order to access those opportunities in um, more populated and urban areas, they need the ability to get there. There can also be a lot of paperwork and bureaucracy. And if you don't have flexibility in your schedule, it can be hard to take advantage of job training services. Here's Sindon what it looks like in Atlanta. Here in Atlanta, we have five workforce development boards, and they're all independent and they're connected to their local government generally or through their counties. And as independent entities, they all comply with the same federal regulations, but they all have different processes for how an individual will approach them and get enrolled and qualified for help and services that they have. So it makes it really hard to work across geographies and boundaries when you have essentially five different sets of application materials, five different processes that an individual might go to. And it also makes it hard for employers to work with these boards because they have five different ones to work with. Jenny saw this challenge for prospective job seekers in Philadelphia as well. We were given this kind of Byzantine description of a set of public agencies, a bunch of regulatory statutes, a role that the state played, that boards played. It just, it was so hard to follow the sort of authority, the accountability structures. It was Mm. all over the place. And I think the through line that was missing most concretely was, so what? Like, what does this mean for people, right? In Philadelphia, a third of the people were struggling with basic foundational literacy, the kinds of literacy you need to fill out a job application or, you know, follow instructions. If you work in a manufacturing plant, people are trying to do well for themselves and their families. Getting lost in the sauce of like this crazy policy architecture was doing nobody any favors. So that struck with me, right? Like, how do you make this clearer 
Sometimes these barriers to jobs are especially pronounced for communities of color. The data bore this out in Atlanta, which recently launched a region-wide effort to address racial inequity through the workforce system. And Cinda led that effort. In Atlanta, we began working with the Annie Casey Foundation around racial equity and understanding better what the issues were, some of the language and some of the barriers that our customers were experiencing. And we began looking at key data in a disaggregated way. In our work with the local workforce board, we started to look at training services. We looked at availability of those services and overlaid that with the demographics of the region. And they saw some problematic trends. For example, where training was available in certain zip codes and where it wasn't, where certain genders were being sent for training disproportionately, as well as some racial issues. So what we did was began to look at how we could really, as a community, dive into this data and identify some outcomes and indicators that we really wanted to track on a regular basis with a lot of the partners around the table. But then it's also allowed us to start working on some of the processes we see that really disproportionately affect individuals from, from underserved neighborhoods so that we were starting trying to work to strengthen those connections between different workforce boards to make it easier for clients to get in and qualify for training support, as well as to connect to community-based organizations that can provide some of the work supports and services that will help individuals be more successful. Just like it can be hard for individuals to engage the workforce system, it can be hard for businesses and employers too. Workforce organizations in the past have not always had strong connections to employers. In Atlanta, we did a survey in about 2014 and found that only one of every three workforce organizations we surveyed had at least one employer connection. On the whole, the system is pretty complex. The workforce system is complicated because it's organized by funding stream, sometimes by the population it serves, sometimes by the geography it serves. And it is comprised of so many different types of organizations that they don't always work toward the same goal. You have the workforce system includes education and training providers, such as technical colleges, high schools are part of the workforce system, colleges, universities. It includes employment services, includes the federal system, community-based organizations that provide work supports, chambers of commerce, economic development agencies, you know, a whole alphabet soup of organizations, but they're all looking at a little piece. It's like designing an elephant piece by piece, and, and it's really hard to step back far enough to see what the whole thing looks like. Jenny from J.P. Morgan Chase also saw this trend in her work in Philadelphia. We had a public workforce system at the time that really didn't have a lot of engagement. And a public workforce system without the engagement of the business community is a problem because the business community is where the jobs are. Now that she's in philanthropy, Jenny helps cities to map out their systems so that everyone comes to the table with a better understanding of workforce challenges and solutions and what their different roles are. This helps with setting some common goals. What we want to stoke are systems with a guiding vision for what success would look like. So that could be something very specific in terms of 
how many people are in a community are working mm-hmm. or something that has to change, you know, increase our labor market participation by X percent or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing, and, you know, there's a little bit of a theme, but places where there's transparency around what are the outcomes that different partners are driving. So what do graduation rates look like at your local community college? To what extent do we know how internships, apprenticeships, other kinds of work-based learning are made available to people? We look at a lot of macro-level labor market data here. So that will help us know who's working and what kinds of jobs. I think we're systems can play a role is is kind of going a level deeper and helping mm-hmm. us understand, you know, where are their disparities? Mm-hmm. What do we know about why they are? This is what's been going down in Detroit. When Mayor Duggan first took office, one of the things he acknowledged that it felt pretty familiar to me is we need a map because we don't even know where to start in terms of identifying what are our challenges? We we need to know kind of what does today look like? And in that case, we supported the development of a kind of system map to really understand, you know, what were all these different component parts? And data plays a huge role in this type of road mapping effort. It can show you who the educators and job trainers are and what kind of capacities they have. In Detroit, and, and it's not only been done there. In fact, we did this when I was in Philadelphia, but we worked with entities that are really steeped in the workforce world and actually could use data, but also begin to map out, this is a snapshot of the nonprofit education and job training community. Here are the kinds of organizations, here's the kinds of capacities they have, right? Getting a little bit into that more sort of sophisticated or kind of deeper dive on not just what are they doing, but who's doing what well, where are their gaps? Similarly, so we we think of that as kind of the labor market supply side, right? So who's, who's pumping people out into the system and what skill sets do those people have? You also look at school districts, right? And school systems, how well are they doing? And data can show you what job opportunities look like and where there might be mismatches in how people are being prepared for those jobs. And then we look over at the demand side and we try to understand in a particular region or community, where are the jobs? You know, it's not good if you only have jobs for PhD computer scientists and jobs for frontline retail workers and kind of nothing in the middle, right? We try to understand where are their jobs. And then when we sort of align supply and demand, where are their sort of challenges? Where are we perhaps in need of standing up new kinds of education and job training to meet a particular need? Or perhaps uh, if we have people who are really uh, struggling to even build the skills you need to move into a good job training program, how do we have to think about how to build that pipeline out further? Mm -hmm. So in Detroit, that's one of the things we learned. There was high quality education and job training, but we we looked at who was accessing that education and training. We learned, gosh, even the sort of entry level requirements for some of those programs are keeping swaths of the population out. 
So when philanthropy and research come together in these efforts, it can really help city leaders get a better understanding of their local system and where the opportunities are. So, you know, and one of the things Urban helps us do is kind of capture the learning in real time, right? And so one of the opportunities for us in terms of working with Urban has been, you know, really to to kind of have them ride shotgun with us and say, yep, that is interesting. We're going to go out, sort of independently talk to some of your partners and grantees and then figure out what we can do to, to lift up insight. This issue with new sort of local executives grappling with what the system is, is one that we've seen consistently Mm. because it is kind of complicated Mm. and it's not necessarily something people tend to run on. Even if you run on jobs, you're probably not running on workforce development. Um, So one of the things Urban did was kind of create a bit of a guide with one of the key audiences for us being new administrations in local governments, or frankly, even at the the state or federal level, really saying like, here's a lay of the land. These are the kinds of entities you're going to bump into. Here are some ways to think about how they potentially piece together. So what can other cities and regions do to improve the local workforce systems and help people get better access to jobs? Here's Amanda. I think local context is really important. So making sure that the people who are coming together to help reduce racial inequity to help get people skills in their local area, whatever the goal is, that they are really making sure that their approach and their strategies are unique to their local context, where there's an organization that's willing to bring people together around the table. There might be some funding that's necessary to allow people to take time off of their you know regular jobs to come together and come up with a coordinated strategy. And Jenny sees a big opportunity for cities to learn from each other. If there's a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C., who's figuring out how to really galvanize the business voice and use that to signal to educational partners, here are the skills that matter, Mm -hmm. um, which I think the Greater Washington Partnership is really doing. How do we lift up that model not necessarily declare victory, but say, we think this is pretty interesting. Here's how they're doing it. These are some of the elements that we think make this organization special. You know, how can we then use that selfishly to inform our own grant making, our own work in communities, but then, you know, like share the good news and see, you know, how can we get others kind of take a look and say, that might be something we want to consider in Dallas, Texas, or in Los Angeles, Basically, it's crucial for employers and private sector leaders to be at the table in a meaningful way. Here's Cinda to close us out. It's getting them to the table to set the community strategy and keeping them there. And that can be really tough. And I think, if anything, workforce organizations sometimes underestimate how important that is, but also how much time needs to be invested into that relationship building. Uh, Because as we all know, employers and private sector changes very quickly. People come, people go. But building those relationships, both vertically and horizontally within key employers that are are growing in your community and are are the sectors, whether it's healthcare, whether it's transportation and logistics, whether it's, it's manufacturing, getting those relationships really solid and cultivating those leaders and getting them to advocate for you, that's how you change the system. 
as always, we'll close with some key takeaways. Here are three things you need to know. One, even when the economy is strong, not everyone has access to good paying jobs. Cities and regions can address this challenge through their local workforce system. A set of organizations and activities that prepares people for employment, helps workers advance in their careers, and seeks to build a skilled workforce to support employers in the local economy. Two, in Atlanta, local leaders are addressing concerns about racial inequity through their local workforce system by focusing on removing some of the barriers people face when they're trying to access training and bringing employers, educators, and other partners together across systems that are often disconnected. And three, solving a city's workforce challenges requires a clear understanding of all the players, their capacities, and a vision of what success looks like. Philanthropy and research can play a huge role through efforts to map out these systems and equip city leaders with the knowledge and data they need to set a clear course and take action. So that's our show. Big thank you to Jenny Sparandara, Cinda Herndon King, and Amanda Briggs for sharing their insights. And if you want to learn more, check out the show notes for links to additional research on workforce systems at www.urban.org slash critical value. I am required by podcast law to say that if you enjoyed this show, bounce on over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. Thanks in advance. And thanks to producers Kate Villarreal and Jacinth Jones for all their help. And props as always to our sound editor extraordinaire, Riley Byrne from podigy.co. That's P-O-D-I-G-Y dot C-O. Our theme music is by Moby. For everyone on the Critical Value team, this is Justin Milner signing off.